I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Daisy is Careering. I'm Daisy Buchanan, and this podcast is inspired by my brand new novel, Careering. It's a story about the complicated relationship between ambition and anxiety, and what to do when you think your job might be the love of your life, but it's never going to love you back. Every episode, I'm going to be talking to a special guest about their own relationship with what they do for a living, how they've navigated the emotional highs and lows of their career, and how we can find a place for ourselves in a world where there is relentless outside pressure to succeed. How can we work on our own terms and can we make work work for us? In this episode, I'm talking to the award-winning presenter, campaigner and advocate Sophie Morgan, one of the first female TV presenters in the world with a physical disability. In her brilliant new book, Driving Forwards, Sophie courageously shares the details of her life before and after the event that changed everything forever. When she was 18 and on the brink of starting her adult life, Sophie was paralysed in a car crash and she had to rediscover herself and her dreams and ambitions. I loved having this conversation with Sophie, who was incredibly generous and honest about the emotional and practical challenges of working from a wheelchair. We talked about her work on the Paralympics, the fact that she's done my dream job, presenting crafts, and she even told me a tiny bit about her upcoming appearance on Bake Off. I hope you enjoy it. What did you want to be? when you grew up there wasn't something specific like a job or a certain role it was more I knew I what kind of person I wanted to be I wanted to be very free I had a real aspiration to travel a lot and a real dream to step into the unknown I certainly wanted to like sort of shed the shackles of my of my just my life of my parents being around or school or whatever I felt really really like I just want to break free um but yeah, I don't think I was a certain job. I was aspiring to be a lawyer, but I don't think that's because I wanted to be one. I was just told I should be one. So that was my that was my rough plan. I think it's so interesting, isn't it, that even when we're very, very young, we learn there's an appropriate answer to that question and an answer that's not going to make anyone panic and something that parents and teachers will be like, oh, yes, of course. And if you do talk about, you know, not being sure or... I don't know, wanting to wanting to do anything different, I think people panic. And it's ironic because I think that so many of us are, are doing jobs and living lives that didn't exist in our parents' imagination or a teacher's yes. imagination. Yeah, I really agree with that because I, I remember always at school I had a real passion and a love and a talent for painting and art and I, was, I loved it so much. And it was never even considered. It wasn't like it was explicitly discussed. It was just sort of understood that that would never be pursued in real in the real world you know I I would never become an artist of any kind it was never going to be like that that was always just like well no you wouldn't do that because you've got the grades to be something better than that in inverted commas or something 
more conventional and bigger or, or that had the potential to earn more money or something. It was just, so that's hence why I was sort of channeled down the lawyer route because I, I was had various grades that would have got me into that position. So it's right, and it, it's so limiting, isn't it? It's such a shame, which is why I was so grateful when, so, because I had my accident, um, I had the car crash that paralyzed me the night that I got my A-level results. And so that kind of pivotal point in your life where you're just about to step into adult life and become whoever it is you're, you, you know, you hope you're going to be or maybe meant to be, however you want to look at it. I never, you know, at that point, my everything changed. And I'm very grateful in many ways that it did because I actually had that really sort of reflective perspective shift and went, actually, I'm just going to do the thing I really love. I don't care what anyone thinks. I don't care what my parents think. I don't care what, you know, the system would have wanted me to do. I'm going to do that art thing. So I actually did the art thing, went to art school and no one cared at that point. Everyone was like, just do what you want to do as long as you're happy, you know, but you're right. I think there's, there's something about wanting to just conform or perhaps not rock the boat that you that, that happens so much for us and in, in, in ask and especially in our education system anyway here and I think you know for people sort of growing up and who were socialized as, as women as well mm. I, I was really like in awe of your accounts of wild behavior at school because I was such a, a good little girl and I never dared to do any of those exciting things certainly not until I was sort of well into my teens and everyone was yeah I did push the boat a bit I did yes it was something really like I don't know I just had to it was that kind of I don't people ask me like what why were you like that I'm like I don't really know why it just was <laughs> well I think it's really interesting when you talk about your mum who did lots of really different varied jobs and lots of really interesting jobs from sort of being a nurse to to dog breeding and that friendship was such a central part of your your mum's life. Sorry, I've completely forgotten the name of your mum's amazing friend. Sarah, who sounds like an yeah. incredible, inspiring yeah. woman, Sarah. Yeah, they were really, they were really strong role models for me. I think working mums, especially for me, I, I, not all of my friends had mums who worked. They definitely had dads who worked, but not all of their mums worked. And my mum worked from the minute I was born. She had a, I think when I was first born, she had a she, I think she did two or three jobs at one point, maybe when I was a baby. I, I mean, obviously I don't remember. I wasn't um, aware at the time, but she, I remember her telling me she had like a paper round and then another job. She like juggled like three jobs or four jobs at one point. So she was always that, just she had a really strong work ethic. And, and also her friends that she gravitated to were pretty much cut from the same cloth. And so these women that I grew up with um, were really, without knowing it, teaching me, what it was that I might aspire to in that sense of independence and and potential like that but then I do I did find myself writing in the book uh, I observed that I my mum had always been she was a pie she was a stewardess never a pilot and she was a nurse never a doctor mm. and I wondered if that's why she was always saying to me you can be anything you want because I don't think she was told she could be anything she was she she wanted she was told she would just be what she was good enough for at the time. And I think she kind of fell into a lot of the work that came around, you know, it wasn't like she made a set plan and aimed for that. And she took what she had to, to, to make ends meet and then upskilled as she went because she was really good at what she did. But for, for, for me as her daughter, definitely her and her friends sort of instilled in us, we could do anything we wanted to do. <laughs> it was quite amazing, really. Although 
that meant the sky was the limit. I never really, it was almost a bit overwhelming. If I can be anything, what do I be? <laughs> mm. I think that's such an interesting and complicated conversation to have that ambition is so exciting. And I do think that maybe in the sort of, you know, late 80s, early 90s and still now, there's like, do anything, be everything. And it's it's so exciting, but also it's not okay to be ambitious. And I think when people tell us to be ambitious, what they mean is something that's, you know, like mm. doing well at school, to kind of do it on mm. our own terms. You know, how do we begin to, to break that yeah. down? And when you... When you start to write those rules for yourself, it's really quite overwhelming. Like, what do I really want instead of what does what what does society sort of ex- think that I can do? And but I, I get a real kick out of that. I think that's why I've led my my life has led me down such a weird path. And I say weird because I don't really know any other word to describe it. I've I don't know how I've ended up where I've ended up. I know how I've ended up the person I am, but you know my my job and stuff and like the, there was definitely no real set plan in becoming a television presenter that just sort of evolved but there was certainly a seed planted by my mom and my and my dad of course but and her friends and all those people that you've you've referenced that I put into the book that sort of told me sky's the limit you can go where you want um so I well as much as I didn't know what that meant I knew I was super ambitious and knew I was super dedicated and motivated so I was going to end up somewhere um just didn't know where that was (laughs) and it sounds as though maybe I really don't want to put words in your mouth but you've chosen a job that you know makes all the use of your considerable skills but it's also a way of kind of working to live you it's potentially an opportunity Mm -hmm. to travel like you don't know what the next sort of phone call or email is going to bring and you could and you have been all over the world such a joy it's such a joy I can't tell you like it's so there's pros and cons to the not knowing what email and what phone call you're going to get each day because when nothing arrives or when you're sort of in that limbo, it's quite intimidating. Um, and I think as a woman with a disability, I do like to feel safe. Um, I feel I like to feel like I've got a, enough money that I can look after myself because we certainly can't lean on the benefit system or we can't depend on <laughs> support. And the cost of living as a disabled person is extraordinarily high. You know, a wheelchair costs more than a car, some, some examples. and. And so I've always felt very, very driven to make as much as I can just to look after myself. I don't mean I'm like really greedy. I just need enough to make sure I'm okay. And so my job kind of, when I started to see that it could support so many areas of my life that would otherwise be quite prohibitive. So like traveling or going to meet people or that I wouldn't otherwise normally or go into places that I otherwise wouldn't normally I think that's why I held on to it with both hands when I started to realise, oh gosh, this is a really, not only is it, I was never drawn to the television thing for like, oh, I want to be famous or anything. It was it was more like, I, I want a voice so that I can complain about being disabled and people will listen. <laughs> I want a voice because disabled people don't have voices and I'm really keen to change people's perception of what, what our lives are like. But I also, yeah, like you say, want to travel and TV permits that and I want to, you know, have a license to let my curiosity guide me into conversations that otherwise I wouldn't be able to, or, you know, there's a lot of advantages that come with the job that make it such an exciting job, more than just the being on telly, way more than just the being on telly, you know? I think that the challenges of you doing this brilliant work, presenting TV and not being there in sort of in a tokenistic way, but also 
can't fight the fact there must be so many young people who look at you and their eyes are opened in the possibility of what they can have and what they can imagine and and who is out there in the world is different and broader in a brilliant way that maybe it wasn't 20 or 30 years ago I mean how do you sort of reconcile the fact that you represent hope to so many people but also you do just want to be a tv presenter and do your job and go to work and not necessarily mm. have to yeah. represent the hopes and dreams of... well it's really kind of you to say it. I never really like to think of it being this sort of responsibility because then it takes away from it takes a, it adds a huge amount of pressure which you know I'm never going to be one person one person does obviously have the power to change the world we all know that but I don't feel like I've got the ability to do those things and I just feel I'll do my bit for what I can I've always felt very strongly about the shifting of perception so I do embrace that side of the job I think probably more than more than I probably should I I don't know let me think about it clearly I think it's more this idea that when when I do get the feedback that somebody has like seen a show of mine and I'm I'm on a motorbike and I'm traveling across the country and I'm not making much reference to my disability and somebody sees it and says wow my daughter now has the confidence to you know go out more as a result or something of course that hits home and means more than any other kind of feedback um and I can't imagine anyone else would feel differently if they were in the same situation and I think it's led me to want to do more TV, but I can't also then sit there and say everything I do on television is altruistic because like to, to the point I made earlier, I love all the benefits of being able to travel and being able to, but I think the problem is, and I've learned this over the years, is that if you are a minority and you're in the minority on television, there's so few disabled people represented, certainly represented accurately and certainly I feel very privileged to be a handful of, of those people that are on screen. There's something really important about um, just communicating the ways in which our lived experience is so difficult. And I didn't want to have to do this work, it's, but we have to. There's so few of us doing it, so we we have to. I didn't, you know, the, they call it the same. It's not an unusual term to be familiar with the idea of the accidental activist. You know, you don't necessarily want to be the advocate but you kind of get asked to because there's so few of you on television so I often if I'm being interviewed I find myself being asked what's it like to represent disabled people I'm like I I did I don't but the fact that you're even asking me indicates I do and indicates therefore that I must and so there's this kind of like it's a problem because the truth is there are far 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 too few disabled people on screen I don't even need to pull out the stats to demonstrate and to validate my point there are so few disabled people on tele on television certainly of color or of different backgrounds or you know disability intersects every community but yet we very we more often see white wheelchair users um the majority might be men but you know certainly myself like a white wheelchair um user it's like as a, as a woman I, I think this is the thing that the box ticking that happens we all know happens and i know that i've been a box ticker for time and i know that I've tried to use that to my advantage and to, to, to be advantageous to my community as well. But there's pitfalls to that. So I just, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I get the chance to speak out. I get the chance to be heard. Like I said earlier, I wanted to raise platforms to be heard. And so that when I complained about things, people would listen. Because when I first came out of hospital, 
and I went to art school to try and enroll on a foundation course. I was told I couldn't go because there was no wheelchair access. And that was the first time in my life I had, you know, ever encountered this experience of, no, you can't come in here. I was like, hey, what, what do you mean? And I, I was a wheelchair user. So they said, you, 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 there's no access here. You can't come to college here. So I had to find a lawyer. I had to fight for my rights. I had to learn my rights. I had to know how to enforce them. You know, these were things I didn't know I had to do. And now I know them. And now I know full well how to protect myself. So it's this kind of, that was the day I realized that there was always going to have to be this fight. There was always going to have to be this, this constant need to advocate for my rights and advocate for other people's rights, because if we don't, then who will? And, and, and yeah, but I think it does come back to the point that it does, the job does come with a responsibility. And no matter how much I might, you know, at times think, oh, I'd just rather just do my job. I actually really enjoy taking that responsibility um, and doing it correctly when I can. I'm not thinking of it as too much of a of a burden and trying to get it, you know, like if I if I mess up or if I don't do it right. I read an interview that I thought was really interesting where you talk quite openly about having a sort of quite a difficult start to the pandemic and having all of these plans and being at a really, really exciting point in your career. And lots of things fell through. And my um, untrue assumption is always anyone who's like on TV is massively sort of glossy. It's and funny successful. how everyone thinks that. I wish I could change that. For the 80% of us that are on television at my level anyway, it's definitely not secure. Well, I found it quite moving, quite inspiring to sort of hear someone with your success and your position say, no, I've had professional disappointments this did not go my way and I don't feel you know powerful or in control I think it's sort of it's quite oddly liberating to know you know not in a kind of I don't want to ever revel in anyone's misfortune but I think that for lots of people especially when you do a career where you are very 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 visible and I think you know it's an extension of I suppose what we often feel on social media that we think Mm -hmm. everyone is experiencing these sort of these great career triumphs and we're not I mean I've noticed it so much in terms of the work I do I try to limit Instagram especially I find quite overwhelming and honestly people can have like lovely houses and fabulous holidays and you know I don't have children I'm not sure that's Mm. something I want to do you know people have babies people living their sort of their fabulous lives and I sincerely Mm. think good for them and then when I say it's like, oh, they've got a really like exciting new job, massive book deal, award, that's when I feel envy mm. squeezing my heart. And, you know, I've written a few books. I really like my job. I have a very nice time. I don't know what it is. And like, even when it's someone, like, you know, someone's won an award because mm. they're an architect. Like, that's not something <laughs> that is ever going to come up for me. I think it's just that old, good old imposter syndrome I don't, or something that makes you think, I don't know, I can't speak for you, but for me, I I totally empathize with that. And I totally sympathize. It's just that feeling of like, oh, have I done enough in my area? Am I pushing myself? Especially like to go back to our earlier point about ambition. If you're an ambitious person, which I I assume you are as am I, it's that kind of like, oh, have I not gone that one extra mile? Do I need to just, just go a little bit further so I can be at peace when I go to sleep? is it enough? Am I enough? Have I done enough? I think it riddles us with anxiety about where we are. And like you say, even when you are looking at yourself in the mirror and going, actually, you've done a good job here. You've done the thing or you, you move, then you move the goalposts and you're like, well, hold on. I didn't win an award for it. Hold on a minute. I'm not, you know what I mean? And it's just that niggling voice. But I 
I recognize also that voice is probably the same voice that but the one that's saying, keep going, keep going, keep going, which is what drive, which is what, what ambitious is all about. And so I, I kind of, you can't silence that former voice without the latter being for silenced. You know, they come hand in hand, perhaps, I don't know. But to your question and observation about television and the job. And, and so, yes, I did. So when the pandemic happened, I was at a point in my career where I had worked my absolute hardest to get where I was and when I say that to, to explain what that means in television terms I had been doing the work I had like the jobs that I had I had been lucky enough to get I had put my absolute all into like learning the craft trying to do the best I can working hours and hours and hours to the detriment of my disability at times and really doing what I can to just make sure I just always get another job you know because it, it was always about there's no guarantee you're going to get another job so it's that always that right it did I do it good enough will it be good enough to get me another job let's wait and see I don't know if I'm going to get that email so there's that going on for a long long time I mean most of my television career has, has been like that and uh, yes I had had some high profile and like for example the Paralympics where I was fronting the Paralympics that didn't guarantee that I would do anything else but the Paralympics. I might not even do the Paralympics the next time around. They might select someone else. So there's no, they, were, they didn't feel like security. Or certainly I didn't know. For, my, for me, it didn't feel like security. For other people, that might have been enough. But I've always been quite anxious and nervous about it. So it felt so tenuous. It felt like, oh, God, this is so close. And it felt so precious to hold on to. Like I was like, I'm just, I'm not lucky enough to hold on to this. This has got to go. I'm, I'm obviously quite pessimistic I suppose because of what's happened to me in my life I'm always a bit like the next big drama is around the corner. When you're actually presenting at the Paralympics you know being there were you able to kind of oh, at least I enjoy the you, moments I, of it? I, I was and I, I got there was a moment when I got the job and I remember where I was and what I was doing and I was I was sitting in Hyde Park I had just finished the audition there'd been a lot of us auditioning for this job and I was so excited to get it uh, so hoping to get it and I got it and I remember I was I was in my chair sitting in the park on the way home and I remember thinking my life's about to change it's going to change my life is going to change and in the best way and I didn't know what it meant or what, I had no idea what that could actually mean because I hadn't lived it yet but I knew everything was going to change not just like I'd make some money it was like I'm going to be part of this wave of a Paralympic movement, which is really exciting for me as a para, as a paraplegic and as a, as a disabled person. But also, I'm going to go on one of the most widely watched programs in the world. And what is that going to be mean? What's that going to mean? Because I, like I said, I've been looking for opportunities to present. But for wheelchair users like me, there weren't that many opportunities to present. You were often told, "We don't want you know. Why are you? Why would you present this subject?" People are going to need to know why you, because you're a wheelchair user. So unless it's about disability, you're not really going to, viewers aren't going to like it. You're going to have to explain your disability. And if that if the subject isn't about disability or about you, or about something to do with you, they're just not going to like it. Because disabled people, it was so, this was a while ago now, obviously, before the, the 2012, 2016 games, that window of time, there wasn't that many opportunities. So when I did get that chance, and then I lent into the career and tried to push to go further and further and further, it, it was always it was always hard work. It was never a shoe in. The door was slightly open, but there was a glass ceiling. There's a glass ceiling for all women in television. There's, there are barriers there in the same you know way um, for, uh, that would be for me for a, 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 a woman who was not disabled. But I I also had that door opening because I was a wheelchair user and boxes needed to be ticked, and I knew that. So I was like, right, I'm going to get in here and try and, and prove my worth and stay in the job. But this is what I was trying to say earlier. 
it had always been a graft, like a push, like meetings after meetings, trying to convince people to believe in me or show, you know, try to like get, and I get a job and I got to do it my best. And it was all that, right? Same as any job. Anyway, I've been grafting for about two or three years to try and get a particular idea off the ground. And when I say it took three years, I mean, it literally took three years of meetings, pushing, project, but like it was, it was long. And this idea finally got off the ground. And I had put all of my eggs into that basket. It was going to be huge. I was going to be riding a motorbike around the world to go to, to, to the Tokyo 2020, uh, 20, what was the year that Tokyo was meant to happen? I can't even remember now. Yeah, the 2020, 2020 again. Yeah. Oh, it must have been 2020. How can we forget? So I was meant to be arriving in Tokyo on my motorbike and I was going to be traveled, followed by Channel 4 and this big documentary series. It's going to be absolutely the greatest thing I could ever achieve. And it got cancelled. And I didn't get a phone call to say, you know, don't worry, it will happen again. I just got the same as all of us. We just got, we don't know what's going to happen. And I couldn't handle like I was like oh my god all of these years I've worked for this thing and I didn't have any other jobs lined up because that was going to be my job for the next six months so was that and there was no security there was no like oh don't worry I I mean who knows what could have happened after that so I was as vulnerable as anybody else and because my job involved going out and about and when the lockdown happened I was completely stranded I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And then on top of that, there was the pandemic, there was the unsurety, the insecurity around my disability and whether my specific disability would weather COVID. We didn't know at the time. And then there was, yeah, my relationship breaking down. And then I ended up on uh, with some secondary complications of my disability. It all just came boom, 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 one after the other. And yeah, so I got to, you know, I thought I was going to be riding high at the peak of my career. And then I was just, no, off you go, drop. So I have been incredibly grateful since the pandemic finished and some jobs have come open and now it is dominoing and I'm really in a good place because I know how fragile it is and how quickly it can be lost. Um, And the other truth of it is I have a physical disability and if it decides to get in the way, all of this dries up. So I have no, you know, if I fall and break my leg, I can't sit in my chair, I can't go to work. So it is really... I'm very grateful every day that I get to go to my job because I don't know if I will be able to one day. So it's like, yeah, I think the to to what you said about the television thing, everyone thinks it's really secure. I'll tell you now, if you speak to, so there's a certain percentage of talent that will always be safe, but there's a large percentage of talent that I've worked with and I know well, and we all kind of at the same level or probably a little bit higher than me, that are, you know, can be out of work for months or then can suddenly get a job. And it, everyone just thinks it looks so glitzy and safe and great lots of money and all this stuff, but it's 
not my experience of it actually it's a lot of work to try and keep it keep keep yourself in the room um and then you know to try and keep keep coming back you know time after time with new shows people get bored people want new talent it's it's hard <laughs> I was really struck by something you said a little bit earlier about to to do those jobs because as you say it's that needing to be called back and no just needing to be in someone's eye line for long enough to get the mm. get the next thing get the next phone call and how challenging it must be when you've got to to a point mm. push your body beyond where you should be pushing it in terms of how active you are and you know how much rest you need and everything but having to sort of negotiate that and to how much you know to sort of how you can wear yourself out or not when you need to pull back that must be another really challenging thing to keep I negotiating think it's something I've only just learned or maybe it's only because I'm safe enough just safe enough now maybe no I'm gonna I'm actually gonna argue with myself even now I find myself pushing myself too far because I, I still don't think I'm safe enough to go to anyone no, I won't do that because my disability might get in the way. I find it really hard because I'm terrified of someone saying, oh, don't employ her. She's She's got a disability that's going to make her harder to work with. And that is an ableism that exists outside of me, but inside of me. And I always battle with because I wish that I could trust that my employer would be flexible and accommodating and meet my needs and not feel that I'm too much of a burden. But the reality is I worry about it all the time. And I think I'm not alone in that, that that's one of the reasons why disabled people often keep their disabilities to themselves. If it's a bit an, an invisible disability, as we you know often refer to them, because you're worried, you're worried that you're going to get stigmatized and people are going to think you're not productive or that think that you're not able to do your job well because your disability is going to get in the way. There's a reason why disabled people are so that the unemployment rate is so high. And it's not that we should ignore our, you know, our bodies and push ourselves it, we really, really shouldn't. It's, it's just the fear is there. And I'm very aware of how unfair that is. I'm very aware of how wrong that is. And I know as, as the advocate myself, I would say to other disabled people, no, be proud, say what you need, do it. But it's hard. I mean, I've, there's times when I've done it, but I felt very uncomfortable. I just, I, I, it's a very difficult thing to do. And until the world becomes a far more forgiving and empathetic place, I just don't know how we we bring our full disabilities to the workplace without feeling slightly worried that, the people around us are going to judge us for not being the same as everybody else. And it's a sad fact, but I think we're working on it. And there's some amazing work being done out there to, to validate the fact that disabled people, even if they, you know, can't work for the full hours or they've got a chronic illness that um, impacts the, the, the way in which they approach work, doesn't mean that they can't work as well. Um, you know what I mean? And that changing yeah. that perception is so important it's being done for sure but I, I I know just being honest that I know what I'm like and I found it over the years really hard to bring that forward without feeling slightly scared but I'm definitely getting better at it I'm just not perfect at it yet. That's another big thing to mm. ask of yourself and I think you know what you said about sort of the nature of the work is not secure all I want for everyone mm. who is employed to be able to say what they want and what they need but I understand why people don't do that and don't feel that they can do that and I think that over the last two years what everyone has gone through is the sort of you know even kind of outside your work but in you know sort of traditional 
offices mm. and shops and factories and all the workplaces, I think they're all set up to squeeze us. They but don't haven't we accommodate. just wonderfully demonstrated that we can be flexible and we can adapt? I mean, when the pandemic happened and everyone was started working from home, certainly within my community, everyone was going, look, we've been telling you for years people can accommodate work for workers from home. Look what you've just done. Now, you know, it's not ideal and not everyone wants to work from home, but for those people who have to work from home or need to work from home or might occasionally prefer to work from home, the pandemic validated all of those arguments. And it was like, oh my gosh, look, we've proven it. So yeah, I feel like we learned a lot from the pandemic about the way in which we can adjust to meet people's needs, but whether we would, whether we implement those learnings and move back and you know make it easy is, isn't yet to be seen doesn't really feel like it <laughs> I think you're right I yeah. think it's a work in progress and I think things will change yeah. and they have to but I think that it is quite it's I think it's very much connected with the way mm. we think about work and how there is part of us all that fetishizes this idea yeah. of you know the dream job and doing something glamorous and fabulous and exciting and also the other part of us thinks work needs to be miserable and an ordeal and the awful thing that punctuates our lives so we can you know we have to be miserable in the week to enjoy the weekend and that seems like a really archaic way of thinking too I don't know it's it's something I constantly reflect on is this idea of like I don't want to spend my time because I because I nearly died when I had my car accident I I do feel I live this with this sort of like I don't want to waste any time I know that feels like a very privileged comment when you're like, just do what you love. You know, it's like, it's more complicated than that. But I do really feel like in the heart of my decisions, I try and do the stuff that I really, really love because it matters. It is the thing. I don't want to have to wait till the weekend to be happy because life's tough Mm. and living with a full-time disability, quite a severe physical disability is tough enough. So if I can find a way to enjoy the thing that I do, then I've got to try and do that. But yeah it's it's it, there are some very archaic ideas around work that I hope like you say are a work in progress that we'll move away from whenever I talk about my work and I you know I love my job I love my job I think that's one of the things I always want to hammer home of we don't need to be well again I know it's, it's a kind of privileged position to come from but without believing that work has to be hard or awful or miserable or really you know just, just yeah or then we need to get rid of that I would love to ask you about two jobs you've done that I think look from the outside like utter 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 dream jobs other than things we talked about and I'm really I've not seen it's not been on yet has it I'm so excited about um you on Bake Off which is just my favorite thing in the whole world that show it's gonna be amazing and I imagine that you cannot tell me very much what can I tell you it's a celebrity special so I don't want to get myself in trouble but I yeah, it was really fun. And I'm a terrible baker, but I had a really good time. It was really fun. And I don't even know what, I haven't seen the edit, so I don't even know what made it in. So again, I can't barely comment on it, <laughs> but it was really fun. Um, but I'm not a massive Bake Off fan. So I was a bit like, what's the big deal, right? When everyone was like, oh, I'm going to be on Bake Off. Everyone was like, what? And I was like, is that a big deal? Is this, co- oh my God. You know what I mean? People, some people that love Bake Off are like, 
it's huge. So I, I came back with like an apron signed by everyone to give to my friends, or I got a rolling pin from the guys and got that signed to give to another friend who's a Bake Off fan because it's like an institution. Everyone's so obsessed with it. So fun. it was such a, when I was there, I really got why. It was really, really fun. And obviously Noel and Matt and all those the lovely judges are just so lovely. I had a great time. I love that so much. And I love this idea that sort of the people around you and finding out kind of, you know, what they love and what they notice and what they're engaged in when you're like, oh my God, you're doing that job. Because uh, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is crafts. Honestly, it's so funny you say that. Because I, I do these random jobs, so many random different jobs. And I always find like, it's so telling the, the people that actually watch them. When I do Loose Women, that you'd be so surprised the people that message me and say, great job on Loose Women. My dad just told me you were on it. It's a lot of dads watch Loose Women. I always thought that was really funny. I know it's like, it's not my ah. mom watched you or I watched you. It's my friends message me saying, my dad saw you on Loose Women, which I think is really funny. And Crufts is literally, I can't tell you how many messages they've got. Everybody watches it. It's just the best because it's so sweet and lovely. And at this time when everything feels so miserable and horrible, rightly so, the world is just in a terrible place, isn't it? It's like the best escapism being up there. I really enjoyed it. Although I had a really unusual allergic reaction to the dogs. There was 26,000 dogs there. And on day two, I started to notice my eyes were like, I can barely open my eyes. I was like, no, this is terrible. I can't be a Crufts presenter with a and an allergic to it. dogs it's just terrible so <laughs> but it was a dream it was one of, and also working with the one and only Claire Balding like oh wow she's just I mean, wow I mean Radzi as well who's the other presenter he's a brilliant presenter and so fun to work with and just lovely and very he's just great great vibe he's just got lovely energy about him and then there's Claire it's like oh my gosh that's how it's done you know I just sit and watch her like <gasps> how is she so good at her job I mean when you know her skills and her because of the techniques that she has and she's the top of her game she's just amazing to work with so it's a brilliant brilliant job and also the team at Channel 4 they're the best of the best and I, I'm so so and just so lucky to be a part of those teams because it's a similar team that does the the crafts that does the Paralympics so that's kind of how I crossed it over it was a brilliant job to be involved in because it must be intense and challenging because it's so much oh, live, live TV yeah mash. dogs are not I mean these these dogs possibly more predictive, predictable than your average yeah. dog and they're very well trained. Oh, no, there's, but there's a reason they say never work with dogs who and knows animals. Who no, dogs and children or whatever it is. Never work with kids. Never work with kids <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, it, it was hard. It, I, I, don't, I find live television really, really intimidating still. I, I, whenever I do it, which isn't often, unfortunately, it's probably why I feel it so intimidating. It's just extremely overwhelming. And I had just had COVID the week before. So I was a bit like, where am I? Oh my gosh, I'm on TV. There's a dog. What are we doing? Right. You know what I mean? I was like, wow, it's a really wild job. Really fun. But it sort of feels like strap in. Here we go. Oh, you're, you're, you're on a roller coaster and you're not getting off for the next few hours because you're on. You're on air. It's like that. It's, it's really, it's, 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 I don't know how to describe it. Perhaps it's something similar to being a, on stage, you know, like a performer of some sort. But it's, it's wild just sitting there and you're knowing that there's all these people at home watching you and, I'll never get used to it. Never get used to it, I don't think. I do think that's so interesting, though, that you're there, you know, presumably sort of knackered after COVID, <laughs> fighting the allergies and still having to be like, no, I've yes. got to show up and, and, and be like on your top form and smile, you know, and, and yeah, it's, mm. it's, yeah, <laughs> it's just, a, this is the thing about working in television. It's sort of like, it's the same as any other job in the sense that you've got to turn up when you're tired. You've got to turn up when you're just a little bit sick or you've got to crack on and, you know, mm. you've got to put in the hours. 
but yet people are watching you do it. Like most people don't get watched at work apart from by their colleagues, but I'm like, yeah. you know, my friends are watching or my, my, I don't know, friends of friends or people I went to school with or something. And you're like mm. getting these messages. You're like, oh my God, you're watching me right now. It's so weird. It's not the same as turning up on oh, Friday with a hangover ever, and just like hunkering down ever, to your emails. Don't, I'm telling don't you now, I've made the mistake of turning up to work with a hangover on television. Big mistake. You only do that once. It is so bad it's not so yes you can't get away with that well I certainly can't I don't feel like I can <laughs> what would you like to do next do you have any sort of you know like hopes or dreams or I definitely do things that you'd yeah, really like so to happen I, next so year about to start filming another series of this show that I made which is called living wild how to change your life oh fantastic yes, I'm so back. glad that's coming oh, back thanks so much it's coming back I'm so excited that's literally job like life made I'm so so excited to have my own show so that starts filming next Monday a week today um and that goes on for the next two or three months and then I think I I, I really want the book to do to succeed in its own way I don't know what that means so I haven't really set my metrics for success yet um I don't know I don't know if it's x amount of sales or whether it's x amount of feedback I just don't know what I want but I want it to to live in the world in a in a way that makes it all the hard work worth it and all the the toil the blood sweat and tears um worth it and then I I, I was thinking about writing potentially a screenplay I've had some um uh, people interested in doing that with me which would be really exciting a whole new world and then lastly I feel like I want to move to the states and work in America because there's very little representation of disabled people on screen in the states and I would love to try and shift that dial there I don't know why it's just something I've been thinking about They've got the 2012, the 2028 games coming to the to LA. And then there's, you know, Hollywood there and all this sort of powerful, it, the, the industry feels like it's at its hub there when it comes to, you know, representation on screen. There's no greater place to try and move that. So I, I keep thinking that's where I'd like to go. No idea what I'd do there. No idea. No idea. I just putting it out there. That's probably where I'd like to end up. I think it's so exhilarating to say that out loud. Even now, I get quite anxious and quite nervous about having the audacity to say, and I've certainly, I've got stuff coming up where it's probably going to be fine, but I'm like, absolutely, yeah. I fear the jinx, like as soon as it's sort of out of my mouth. Yeah. And I'm like, it probably won't happen, but instead of all these caveats and I can't drive. And whenever I was learning, I was really bad at it because if I saw like an oncoming car, I'd panic. And in my panic, I'd be like steering to the car. And I, I think that's it. If you start, if I'm not going to sort of be promoting, you know, manifestation and visualization, mm. but I do think that to a point that being able to see and conceive and imagine your goals, you will yes. angle yourself there. It's a really lovely way of putting it. I think that's a really beautiful way to put it because I'm with you. I'm a bit airy of the manifestation thing and the whole you know that I don't know how I feel about that but let's not go into that because we don't need to I think it's more about just putting the intention there and thinking well let's just see it's not like a book to flight to well I did actually book a flight to LA but it's not like I've made that goal to instead of setting goals I keep trying to think of how I can grow right so it's not like I'm saying oh I want to be on television in America I want to be a presenter in America I, I actually say things like where can I grow from here? And maybe there'll be a point where I think what I've achieved in the UK is at a cap. And maybe I need to go to somewhere else where there's more opportunity. What that opportunity is, I don't know, but that, that I feel that might be something that happens. And, so, and I've spoken to people that have said that to me, 
you know, you can achieve more here than you, you then, uh, or, or even more here. You've achieved a lot here, but you can achieve more there. So come over here and, and keep going. So that kind of, it's more, or if I say the thing about the screenplay, it's not like I've set a goal that I, I know is an actual clear target. It's more like, well, hold on, if I've done writing to this level, maybe I could grow and do writing at that level. And maybe I could then learn a skill there. So it's this sort of, yeah, it's a development. It's a step in the right, a step in a new direction, always moving forward, mm. um, always sort of like feeling that you should, you know, push yourself without it being too prescriptive or too like, this is the thing I need to do. I want this because I think you kind of can set yourself up to fail a little bit. And I don't know if goals always suit everybody I don't feel like I'm a goal orientated but I just mm. like I say I'm a sort of the growth thing works for me like right how do I grow how do I just keep going bigger and better um and it's like personal development almost really really interesting and I think that goals can feel quite yeah. daunting and also quite rigid and the thing I'm trying to do is to do things with the spirit of curiosity and just think yeah where might I go that's totally what I mean absolutely and it's that lovely feeling of like okay I think I'm ready I don't know if I'm good enough but I'm gonna hope I am I'm just gonna just try and and it's it's also the goal thing I think we've become quite goal orientated I think I don't know when that started to happen but I certainly certainly started to notice everyone talking about goals you know your goal weight or your goal Mm. job or your dream this and I'm like I also think it's really dangerous for people because then if you say something happens to you and you don't reach those things are you always going to be miserable and like we go back to your original point like what what do you want to be when you grow up and then you're not that thing you're like oh did I fail um and I think that's really unhelpful I think it's more like what could you possibly believe you you could do and and just lean into that curious of like okay maybe I could dream so big as to for example this is what I did a few years ago have my own show like could I try and do that so that was I don't know if I didn't say I'm gonna have my own show I was like could I possibly have that conversation yeah I could probably have that conversation with someone who might be able to make that happen if they said you're not ready I go okay I'm not ready you know what I mean so it's always just like a tentative dip your toe in but make sure you do because you if you don't then it's like you've wasted that opportunity you know um and so it's almost like making yeah. the opportunity without setting yourself up to fail because if I didn't get that job and it didn't happen I go well I tried and you know I did my best but it wasn't right it wasn't the right time so I think that's a far kinder way to, to, to like keep moving forward than say set a, a specific target because what if you miss and then you feel like you've ruined your life or you feel like you've let yourself down? No, we don't have time for that. There's no need for that. You know, life's tough enough as it is. <laughs> Quite. And I think so many no's are yeah. not yet that just because that very specific thing doesn't happen mm. at that very specific time, who knows, you know, where things will yeah. lead. Absolutely. And I think as well, going again to that same point about if you're an ambitious person, you might jump too far ahead or aim too far ahead mm. and actually you're not ready yet and it's just like no just wait until you know because I I know for example that America dream I'm not there yet I've still got stuff to do it's just potentially one day there could be that and I don't know where it's come from whether I planted the seed or somebody else has it's just there um but I'm definitely not going to say by the time I'm 45 I need to be living in LA and I need to have made a film because it's just not the way I work. I don't want to do that to myself because if I get to 45, I've had a really difficult few years. Something happened with my spinal injury and I knocked myself off and I couldn't you know, work and I couldn't do those things. Or my mum got sick and I had to go and look after her. Would I be then riddled with 
what if, what if, and I hate what if. I like, okay, well, you, you could have, but you know, you, you didn't. So there's something else that you did and something else happened and have that fluidity and flexibility because if we've learned anything in the last few years, the unexpected happens all the time. And I think we just need to be yeah. a bit more kind to ourselves, especially like to, again, going back to you, what you were saying about Instagram, seeing other people's lives, is that your goal or is that their goal? And I think we're so riddled with, at the moment with this sort of competitive and I, I, that's just such a dangerous space to be. Certainly as a disabled woman, I don't want to be competitive with anyone because it's just yeah. it's just impossible. So I feel like actually just try not to to push those those unachievable goals and just make always keep your your mindset a growth mindset. I love that. I love Carol Dweck. I was really struck by I think this is her, and I might be paraphrasing horribly, but about how when you're a child, if you're told you're clever. You take fewer risks because you do not want to compromise that wow. cleverness. And if you're not defined by that, you feel like you've got more room to get it wrong. And oh, you're more wonderful. curious. And the, the growth of being just sort of able to kind of move and try and, and That's figure it wonderful. out. I could talk to you about this subject yeah. for like another hour at least. And I know you're very busy and you have a lot to do. So I'm going to finish by asking what I ask everyone, which is what does the phrase dream job mean to you? For me, the dream job, when I'm in my dream job, I almost feel like it couldn't get any better, if that makes sense. So like I'm sitting, so for example, this travel series, I'm sitting on my motorbike traveling through the West of Scotland. This happened last summer. And I've got a drone following me. I've just been and met this amazing family. I'm living this. It, it was perfection. It was the dream. And I remember thinking, okay, if I never work another day in this job, and if I never get this again, and it never happens again, this is the dream. It's like, I, I can never get, I know I'm at the pinnacle of my potential. And I'm proud I got here. Anything else is from just a bonus from here. That, that's, that's what dream job feels like for me. Can I cheers that? Because that is, <laughs> beautifully put that is a glorious glorious so. feeling I hope truly that makes sense thing. Well, thank you so much for Pleasure. coming on the podcast huge thanks to Sophie her book Driving Forwards is out now and it's excellent honest inspiring life affirming and written with so much humour and heart thank you so much for listening to Daisy is Careering the podcast is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast with special thanks to Sphere my novel Careering is published by Sphere and out now, available in hardback from all online bookshops with a special signed edition available from Waterstones. It's also available from Amazon where you can find the ebook and the audiobook read by Celine Buckins and Joe Hartley. For now, I leave you with this from Nora Ephron about how we use work and ambition to define ourselves. We have a game we play when we're waiting for tables in restaurants where you have to write the five things that describe yourself on a piece of paper. When I was in my 20s, I would have put ambitious, Wellesley graduate, daughter, Democrat, single. Ten years later, not one of those five things turned up on my list. I was journalist, feminist, New Yorker, divorced, funny. Today, not one of those five things turned up in my list. Writer, director, mother, sister, happy. See you next time. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.